If you're not open, you miss so much in life. Some things must never, ever change. Honesty, integrity, diligence, hard work. Those values never change. Listen to your heart and be aware of others. Others really help. Well, hi there. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, sitting here enjoying this day and about to be joined by my co-host, Doug Robinson, who lives at Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences. Now, while there actually are green benches, they make appearances here and there and can be found at Schlegel Villages everywhere, this podcast is a metaphorical place for connection and for sharing stories, this elder wisdom of which we speak. I'm so glad you found us today, and we're going to be deep diving into some fascinating waters with our guest, Virginia Berry, to talk about sorority and sisterhood, the importance of safety on the water, and the competitive spirit. Virginia, who lives at the village of Wentworth Heights in Hamilton, is, I think, our first debutante on the green bench. So today we'll call this another coming out, if you will. But the life she has led had her almost more in the water than out of it. She's an expert canoeist with a very special family attachment to that gentlest of Canadian pastimes, as well as a gold medal swimmer who's had her brushes with death thanks to her time in and on the water. But let's not tell Virginia's whole story before she gets here, because first we welcome my co-host to the Green Bench, Doug Robinson. Well, Doug, it's nice to have you here on the Green Bench today, as usual. Thank you, Erin, and a good afternoon to you, Virginia. Welcome to the Green Bench. Thank you. You're welcome. Doug, you and I have something in common, and that is neither of us has belonged to a sorority. No. <laughs> well, at least I don't think you have. I, I don't um, think so either. No, okay then. <laughs> you don't know what you're missing, and we did have a, a male uh, part of the sorority uh, several years ago, but uh, it didn't work out permanently, I don't believe. Would a male part of the sorority, Virginia, not be a fraternity? Or how no. was it that you managed to try and include men in this? Well, with the uh, um, international decided that the husbands were always left out when there was a sorority meeting, sorority function. So they decided they would start a, a male uh, sorority within Beta Sigma Pi. Oh, my goodness. And you've been a member for 70 years of this sorority. And this is, I should say right off the top, just one tiny facet of a fascinating life being lived fully to this day by our guest, Virginia Berry, debutante, expert canoeer, gold medal swimmer, and a survivor with style and grace. So as Doug said, welcome again to the Green Bench. What is it that drew you to the sisterhood? Tell us about what a sorority life is, even to this day for you, Virginia, because I find it fascinating as an outsider, and I know that Doug does. Oh, I certainly do. <laughs> well, um, I was very shy and quite withdrawn when I was younger. And uh, 
a girl that I knew at the skating club, which I belonged to, she mentioned that she was a sorority sister in Beta Sigma Phi. And because way back 70 years ago, you had to be introduced to the sorority, and she introduced me to Beta Sigma Phi, and uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I owe everything to Beta Sigma Phi for the uh, learning how and when to speak mm-hmm. and how to set a table, uh, a formal table. And it, that made me what I am today. My goodness. Virginia, what is it about being a part of a sorority that appeals to you the most? I would say the uh, social part of it and the beautiful friends that you make in Zawahi. It it really is an an eye-opener to somebody in a teenager of what the value of friends is. And as a sister, which we learn to honor every sister and... uh, learn the facts of life. Hmm. And to give back. Your Toronto chapter, Beta Omicron, working with Sick Kids Hospital for all of those years. Tell us about your annual ball, would you? Uh, yes. Um, we have an annual ball, a long dress, and a bank- banquet. And it called the Yellow Rose Ball, and I named it Yellow Rose because Yellow Rose is the international sorority flower. Ah. There's nothing prettier than a yellow rose. Yes. And anybody that is special or is sick will get a yellow rose from another sister. Ah. That is so special, and a lifetime of sisterhood, yes. which sounds like just a wonderful thing, as interesting, in fact, as your own life. And I would love to take you back to being a debutante. Now, I know that this is different from being a sorority member, but I'm kind of caught up with The Gilded Age, the a miniseries that I've been watching about, you know, the early 1900s in New York City. And, of course, coming out was such a big thing for members of society. Tell us, Virginia, about your own coming out. And you were in the spotlight with a beautiful gown for meetings and such. Do tell us the whole. Paint a picture for us, won't you? Gee, I don't know where to begin. Uh, my... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, debutante has to be 18 in order to be a debutante. And at 18, they figure that is when you're coming out into society. And that's the purpose of the debutante ball. So my mother and father decided, I, I guess, that it was time I came out into society. So with that in mind, they entered me into learning how to dance, ballroom dancing. And I think I had three lessons in the different dances. And that came about because one of the families, Barbara Swaby, a debutante, her parents decided to give 
a ballroom dance at their house. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, that's when Mother and Dad decided that I should have dance lessons. And that was how I learned to dance. So it was a lot of fun. I loved it. I could still go to the dance lessons on Eglinton Avenue. So then um, having gone to the dance at the house, we got to know the other 12 debutantes. There were 13 of us all together. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. We had Mayor Gibbons one year to welcome all the sorority. And another year we had Mayor, I think it was Nathan Phillips. Virginia, do you recall what the dances were that you learned at that time? Would it have been a foxtrot, a box step? What were the dances that you learned at that time? Do you recall? The, the waltz. Yes. Uh, particularly the waltz. Uh-huh. The foxtrot. Uh-huh. Uh, the... Uh, Quick step. Quick step, yes. Yes, and I don't think we went into the tangles because oh. uh, we, we were... That was too early for us. <laughs> that was too sexy for a debutante. My goodness. My goodness. So you came out into society at 18 and attended the ball at the Royal York in Toronto. Yes, that's right. Oh, my goodness. And we had a banquet at the Royal York, too. Oh, how lovely. Can you remember what was on the menu for your coming out party at the Royal York? Um, no, I can't really. No, that's okay. That's okay. Whatever it was, it was good. It was good, was it? (laughs) (laughs) As a debutante, Eaton's department store had you model for their fashion shows. Did you take part in that? I think that, yes. Uh, We modeled for one of their fashion shows that was on, I think it was that year that we came out. And... Eaton's provided us with a different outfit, every one of us, and the outfits were different rather than being the same. And my outfit was a dress, and it had a cape on it. Oh, do you remember the color? I think it was royal blue. Oh, royal blue. How lovely. And it had a cape. Oh, do you wish that you'd held on to that dress, Virginia? Uh, Well, actually, um, when I married my first husband, uh, the style of my outfit to go away in was exactly the same. Oh, how lovely. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, it was a very pretty outfit. Ah. And then we we had hats to match it, I believe, too. Of course you did. Now I'm picturing the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm I'm getting ideas in my mind of all of the things that we watch on television now, Virginia, that you actually live to. But if we could, can we switch from your gorgeous gown and into some swimming costume? Because I'd love to dive into the next part of your life. Can we do that? Certainly. All right. 
Okay, so where do we begin with your swimming, your canoeing? <laughs> your dad grew up on Toronto Island, and you had it as a vacation spot. So it would seem to us that your water safety was the very first priority for a young woman, wasn't it? Uh, yes, pretty much so. Uh, we went swimming in the Toronto Bay every day, and we had a, a Mr. Foot as our instructor teaching us how to swim. Mm-hmm. And there, there was my two cousins, my brother and my sister, and we all went to the, the beach to learn to swim. And then we had to go to the lagoon on Center Island mm-hmm. uh, to a dock. And at the dock, we had to learn to swim in deep water in weeds. Mm. And our instructor, Mr. Foote, had to take a long pole, and as we were swimming the length of the dock, he dragged the pole along the edge of the dock in case we got our feet caught in in the weeds. And since then, I never liked weeds. No kidding. It's the bane of swimming in Ontario. We had a place on the Trent Canal, and oh my goodness, the weeds as we try and swim across that. But as you talk about Mr. Foot and you talk about weeds, it's ironic because it was your ankle and getting caught on something else that almost cost you your life. Tell us that story, Virginia. That was uh, my girlfriend's uh, American girlfriend, and she had a, her parents had a cottage across the lake from me, and, and her son, youngest son, had made a round board, uh, quite a size this one was, mm-hmm. and you held on to the rope behind the boat and stood on this board, mm-hmm. and my girlfriend was supposed to sit in the front seat facing me. The spotter position. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. But for some reason or other, in this case, she didn't. Uh-oh. I don't know whether it was because she wanted to watch her son driving the boat. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I got my foot caught in the rope, and it wound around my ankle, and I couldn't release it. Mm. So... Betty didn't see that I was caught in the rope, and I got dragged under water. So when I was under the water, the water was being forced up my face, and I decided this is when I'd learned in my swimming lessons to turn over on my stomach mm-hmm. with the water being forced over the back of my head. Mm. And that way I wasn't going to drown. So my bathing cap came off with the water pressure, and my girlfriend then found that my bathing cap was floating on top of the water. And I had my daughter at the the dock, with my mother, and she was in the playpen. But fortunately, they couldn't see me fall off the, the board, and I was glad of that because I don't know what she, she probably would have gotten in the boat and come out. Yes. So that happened on a later day weekend, 
And when I came back home, uh, my ankle was hurting, and I went right down to the hospital. And when I got down to the hospital and the doctor saw my ankle, it was white. I don't, not my not my foot was white, the, just the part where the rope went around. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently I was very lucky because the rope had eaten right through to the bone. Oh my. And the doctor had told me I was very lucky because I almost lost my foot. And uh, with that, I think I was in the hospital for a week. Goodness. Uh, to get the color back. And my girlfriend felt very badly, as did her son, because we were very close. And, of course, when, when my mother found out, uh, she was worried, too, because of my daughter being in the playpen. Was that Vicky who's there with you here today? Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness. But obviously, this did not keep you out of the water, and you got right back in there, and you've gone on to become a champion swimmer. Right. You started swimming competitively, and you retired when you decided to compete with a random swimmer at the pool. Can you share the story with us? Actually, Doug, uh, I didn't uh, go into swimming with the intention of going into the Olympics at all. And it wasn't until I retired in 1991 that the next day I ended up down at the Y pool. And it was when I was at the Y pool in Oakville that uh, there was a gentleman swimming in one of the links and he was really going a clip. And I knew I couldn't catch up to him, but I thought, if he can swim that fast, so can I. <laughs> so I used him as a, uh, well, no, what do you call them now? Uh, pace car? Yes. And uh, I went swimming every day after that at 11.30 for an hour. And I did catch up to him. So, uh, unfortunately, he never knew that I was using him as a pacer. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't such a bad idea. Maybe I should have told him. Well, he might have sped up. Yes. But um, yes. you were competitive then. You joined a swim team called the Silver Streaks, uh, ended up at the Huntsman Senior Games. It's like the Olympics for seniors. Some 4,000 participants, 15 Canadians, we are told, brought 91 medals, and you yourself won a gold and six bronze. So right. that is incredible. We are, <laughs> we are clapping here poolside for you, darling. That is yeah. just amazing. <laughs> well, I, I really I really had fun at the Olympics, and I enjoyed it, but it was a surprise to me when I won the medals, let me tell you. Wow. Can I share my swimming story? Sure. Yes. Well, swimming is a wonderful sport. I, I swam for the school in competition when I was 14 years of age. I still have my certificate from 1948 for competing in the uh, 
school swimming. Okay. And later in life, I became a couch potato, and I put on a lot of weight. Why? So, Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You tell him, Virginia. <laughs> Why did you do that? And, and so my doctor said, "Why don't you take up swimming again?" And every morning at six o'clock, I went swimming for an hour, non-stop, three times a week, and I lost forty-five pounds wow. through swimming. Wow. Well, that that's wonderful, Doug. I like to I like to hear anything about the swimming because it yeah swimming swimming is such a lovely pastime. But Virginia, do you know something? I could only swim on my back. I can't swim at the breaststroke or the crawl. I can only swim on my back. <laughs> well, uh, I have an answer for that, Doug. When I went back to uh, my swimming from one year to the other year, I had trouble with the breaststroke. And my one leg, I had trouble with doing the breaststroke because every time I did, it hurt. Mm -hmm. So I decided that wasn't going to work, nor did I like that. So. I managed to swim uh, usually every day, and that leg was a breaststroke. I made it work. Wow. And I did eventually have it work naturally, and it was the breaststroke that I won the gold in. Oh. Wow. Uh. Now, your mother and father got you into everything, Virginia, with your godfather in the hunt club where you learned to ride horses. Clearly, you have a competitive spirit. And even before we get into this whole other element on the water of canoeing, can you tell us what it is about competition that you enjoy or enjoyed the most? Well, I I guess I could say it was more for my own uh, enjoyment. Mm -hmm. I, I did all of the competition and all the uh, sports because I also did badminton and I also did tennis. Goodness. And I did volleyball at uh, public school too. So it was all, it was really just for me. Wow. And it was for me when I did the swimming, when I went to the, uh, the, the meets, uh, the, uh, exercises, I was still doing it for me. I never dreamt of going into the uh, competition for the Olympics. Olympics. That was not on my uh, schedule. Wow. That really is the best kind of sport, isn't it? When you are competing with yourself for a personal best. Yeah, you're doing it because you want to. So let's get talking about canoeing. You were also an expert canoeer. And, uh, of course, we will not bring up the Pierre Burton quote that a Canadian is someone who knows how to make love in a canoe. <laughs> but um, tell us about your love of canoeing. And it came to you naturally through your father, I understand. Right. And that started uh, at Central Island when uh, we went over there for vacation. And my father had two Cedar Strip canoes. One which is uh, from Gunnel to Gunnel, which is the one I have, 
And the other one was uh, the ribs went from uh, bow to stern. So my sister and I, we used to take the canoes out on the Center Island Lagoon uh, when we had time. And then, of course, the two canoes went up to the island when we built the cottage in 1939. Mm. And uh, I was the one that really enjoyed the canoe more than my sister did. So Dad and I uh, sanded both the canoes every year oh. and varnished them. And that was a thing that my father and I did together. And they have to be varnished and sunk every year to tighten up the wood. And that has to be done for three days before you can take the canoe out uh, for a paddle. I had my own cottage built on the same lake as my father did when he bought the cottage in on Lake Ketchacoma. Mm -hmm. So he had property that he had bought on main, mainland in order that we could get to the island. And the mainland property, my father had divided into two pieces, one for my sister and one for me. Hmm. And my brother got the island. Virginia? Yes. Your father's uh, canoe was very special, and you donated it to a museum. Why wouldn't you leave it to your children and grandchildren? My daughter's sitting here, and she's shaking her head. She didn't want the canoe. <laughs> she didn't want it? <laughs> That's a good answer. There you go. Instead of sitting up in the rafters in a garage somewhere. It's being admired by everyone in the Gravenhurst Museum now, this 120-year-old Peterborough canoe. That must make you feel so wonderful that... After all of those spring rituals of varnishing and sanding and, and making sure that it was water ready for a paddle every year with your dad, that now people see this work of art with the cedar that's not from stern to bow, but from gunnel to gunnel, as you mentioned, it's being admired by everybody, a true work of art. Well, that's true. And, and the reason I put it into the museum was because the same canoe that I have... Uh, Queen Elizabeth, when she was a princess and came to Canada, uh, Canada presented her with the Peterborough canoe mm -hmm. that was exactly the same as mine. Wow. It was made by the Peterborough Company, too. Right. Very interesting. And then, and then uh, when Prince Andrew came and went to uh, college in Lakefield, mm -hmm. Canada, again, had the same canoe built by a, a Walter Walker, actually, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. He got the same canoe, and it is in the Peterborough Canoe Museum, too. Wow. So I knew that if my canoe went to Peterborough Museum, it would never get put out on, on uh, display. It would get into the another building. Mm -hmm. That's why I went to the Gravenhurst Museum. Oh. Well done. Now, it wouldn't be a story about, with Virginia if there wasn't some life-threatening twist here because you have had such an amazing life. You 
had yourself a canoeing accident that was uh, a brush with death as well. Can you tell us that story, Virginia? Uh, yes. My uh, my best girlfriend and I uh, belonged to the Oakville Canoe Club, mm-hmm. and uh, that club decided to take the six canoes uh, down to the Red Current River in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh, my girlfriend and I, we went, and uh, we went 100 miles down the Red Current River in one week. Wow. And on one of the days, uh, there was another girl came from Quebec, and she was in the stern, and I was in the bow. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how much cooing she did, but we got hung up in a tree that was overhanging the current river. And I had the canoe between my feet, my toes holding it, until the two leaders were able to get back to me. However, I couldn't hold the canoe, and I had to let the canoe go. And in the meantime, I had fallen into the river too, and I was afraid of hitting a rock or a big stump uh, underwater, but I didn't. I was lucky, and uh, by the time the uh, two leaders caught up to me, I was able to get my head out of the water and over to the land. And (laughs) this is the funny part. My girlfriend knew that I'd like the Southern Comfort, Oh, Southern Comfort, yes. Love Southern Comfort with me. Oh. And my girlfriend, knowing that I liked it, she went and got it out of my camp, campsite, and poured it in a cup, and I drank the whole cup without stopping, and and was still able to walk a straight line. My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that. But the uh, leaders had taken me across the river where it was sandy and recuperated. But I got right back into the canoe with the leader, and uh, I didn't paddle, but I was in the front of the canoe recuperating. How important was it to you, Virginia, to get back in that canoe? I, I, I... did it naturally. I didn't even think, think about it. Wow. Virginia? Yes. I have a picture here of you sitting in the canoe. Who painted that picture of you in the canoe? Do you know? Uh, yes, it was an artist in Bob Cajun. Uh, yeah. Jim. It's a beautiful picture. You look about 14 in the picture. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, how much do you want for that one? they're all hey from me you get them all free that's right you watch out Virginia you'll be getting some yellow roses from Doug in the next few days oh goodness Uh, you know Doug when uh, I I started to have it painted we put the canoe out on the front lawn and he took a measurement of the length of the canoe the width of the canoe the depth of the canoe, and that canoe also had water, uh, the uh, old floorboards. 
Ah. Uh, one on each side of the keel. Yes, and then he took the uh, the length of the bow, the length of the stern, and that canoe also would uh, have um, sails and the mast. Where is that painting now, Virginia? It's hanging in my room in uh, uh, Wentworth Heights. Do you think one day it might hang near the actual canoe in the Gravenhurst Museum? Would you like that? I think my daughter will have it before it gets there. There you go. That would be perfect. As has our conversation with you today, just the importance of always doing your personal best, getting back from adversity, whether it's a rope around your ankle or a canoe in the Missouri Rapids, and just living your life with grace and sorority and style and charity. What a lovely chat we've had with you today, Virginia. Thank you so very much. Well, I just happened to have mentioned my sorority to Evelyn here, and she'd make a perfect sister in Greater Simplify. Ah, there you go. And, of course, we're talking about Evelyn Vorberg, who was with the recreational team at Wentworth Heights, who has helped make today possible. And, Virginia, we do thank your daughter, Vicki, for being there with you. And, of course, Doug, on the green bench or sitting in the canoe with you. Thank you, Erin. But most of all to you, Virginia, for just sharing a wonderful storied and stylish life with us. We are so very grateful. Well, I'm proud of Doug to know that he got his swimming in. Yes, indeed. Virginia, thank you very much. It was a wonderful half hour. Well, thank you. And I will end with my grandmother's wisdom that she wrote in an autograph book of mine when I was just a kid, and I have looked it up, Googled it, can't find anyone else who said it, and it is this, love many, trust few, and always paddle your own canoe. (laughs) That's a good one, Erin. It is. I've had a lot of wise seniors in my life, and it continues how blessed I am. We hope you'll join Doug and me again next time as we talk with our guest, Dr. Bob Bell, who's an expert on healthcare for an aging population and quite a prolific author of fiction. You won't want to miss it. And to make sure you don't, just subscribe for additional episodes wherever you enjoy podcasts. And that way you'll be notified as soon as they're up. Or go to elderwisdom.ca and we'll help you out there because that's what we're here for. And if you're on social media, as we are, share your thoughts and opinions and take part in all the fun stuff we post regularly by using hashtag Elder Wisdom. Our thanks to my co-host, Doug Robinson, oh, and to Evelyn Vorberg for being Virginia's assistant for today's podcast. I'm Erin Davis. Hope we talk to you again soon. Your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.